the cloud. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Freeman Means Business Wonder Woman in Business podcast. We are here today because we know everyone has a story. And our Wonder Woman in Business give voice to the woman who has a story that is meaningful, moving, and compelling. We share their stories with the world so that in their shining, they give permission to others to shine. And today's guest is joining us from the greater Houston area. I have the pleasure of speaking with Donya Dumitru, and we're going to have this conversation with her today. I'm excited because it's going to be rich. So I want to just start this conversation and turn the microphone over to Danya and ask her to tell us a little bit about her story. We want to just journey with her from her younger self to where she is today. Right. Thank you so much, Natalie. It is such a privilege to be with you here today. And uh, I feel like you and I have had so many conversations when in fact we haven't. It feels like we've known each other for a while, but that makes this even more of a privilege to be here with you today. So the question of my story, um, it, I, I'll, I'll give it in a nutshell. But uh, we'll, we'll open with that. And uh, really, if I had to give you the executive summary, and I'll start with that. But uh, I arrived, I'm actually an immigrant to the US. Uh, I grew up as one of those kids uh, in America with a name that no one could pronounce. Uh, so I'll help the listeners here. It's actually <laughs> pronounced Doina Dumitru. Uh, and when I came to the US, I actually arrived here as a refugee from what was then communist uh, totalitarian Romania. Uh, that story in and of itself, uh, I always said I would someday write my parents' story of how, of what they went through uh, in that time period. It's certainly dramatic and uh, I like to say spy novel worthy. But needless to say, after we arrived in the US, uh, it was, uh, frankly, it was a obviously a big turning point in my, my parents' lives and my own life, but uh, I was very young uh, and I was essentially the daughter of two highly educated parents, uh, both of which uh, certainly had college, advanced college degrees actually, but who this life changed led to going from very professional careers uh, in Europe to coming here to the US and both of them ended up in very blue collar service jobs where they had to learn to speak English as adults and frankly ended up working more hours than probably any human really should to feed their family. It was a it was a tough it was a tough early period as we were adjusting to life in a new country. And truly life was hard. Uh, everything from food to clothes and anything else we needed were a challenge to get. And we experienced uh, food pantries and thrift stores 
were actually what got us through a lot of uh, a lot of those early years. It was tough, but the folk, but focus. If I reflect back on my growing up years, I would say that if my parents had a theme in our family, it was the word focus. That was our theme, and they instilled from my my into my siblings and I a the fact that college was a given, we would absolutely go to college. And that was uh, the goal that each of us uh, had, had instilled into us. The problem was, of course, money was hard to get. <laughs> uh, and there was no money for college. Uh, my, unlike my, my friends in high school, I didn't have a college fund. But thanks to a scholarship uh, college and later pharmacy school led me to a career in um, clinical pharmacy practice. And uh, I actually ended up being also a pioneer in the field of pharmacy informatics and medical informatics at the time. And then eventually that, that pharmacy career led me to work as a hospital administrator for a number of years. At that point, I call it my big career change. My career pivot came. <laughs> and after 15 years in practice, I left that uh, clinical practice uh, arena to work for a med tech company, Becton Dickinson, where I, I still am. And I now serve as a senior director of medical affairs. Um, so that is me in a nutshell. <laughs> Wow, that, that is an incredible story. And, you know, it, it strikes me that we start with um, such a, a uh, traumatic beginning for your family. Um, having these two identities, I am just so in awe of your, your parents making the decision that they had to make um, and doing it with such grace because there's so many lessons that uh, we have learned uh, about why the past informs us and helps us and shapes us. Um, so your dad was a storyteller, right? He was someone who understood uh, the power of words and the power of truth. And I think it's great that he really instilled this um, in your family. You know, think about it, the focus um, that you usually hear or the, the the theme that you usually hear is achieve, achieve, achieve. But what he said to you was focus, Doina, focus. Um, because there are so many times that even today, and we think about it, we get distracted by what we think should be happening. And when we lose focus, we lose that momentum. And I can just, um, you know, imagine you because we talked a little bit about the fact that um, you had the benefit as a young girl of living in an environment that was truly inspiring, right? Gold Coast in Chicago. So, but, but even being there, there's a struggle. Can you talk to us about um, the struggle and how you were able to sort of focus or use um, what you had within 
or maybe there was something or someone that was a great motivator for you uh, to help you as a, um, I wouldn't even say young adult. This is, you truly were a, a, a preteen, a, a young person. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it's a great question. Great question, Natalie. So when, uh, <clears throat> when folks ask me where I grew up, I did grow up in Chicago. I spent most of my life in Chicago. So if to you and our audience, I sound like I have an accent, that's what you're probably hearing. <laughs> <laughs> but more importantly, us Chicagoans, it's all about what neighborhood you grew, grew up in. And so I always get this question where, where did you grow up exactly in Chicago? And you know, where'd you go to school, et cetera. So uh, I, I then proudly announced that, no, I'm a legit Chicagoan. I grew up within city limits and I went to Chicago public schools my entire life from kindergarten to 12th grade. And, uh, and what you're referring to in particular is, and then when I say what neighborhood I grew, grew up in, it was the Gold Coast of Chicago. Uh, and then, you know, I tell people what street I grew up in and then their eyes get big. And they look at me and say, wow, that was a pretty amazing, swanky place to grow up in. Uh, it was. <laughs> the problem was, um, did I mention my dad was a blue collar worker? What my dad, uh, we, we actually, it, it was honestly probably one of the biggest blessings our family could ask for, especially given our, our humble beginnings in the U.S., but my dad actually served as a, uh, they were called building engineers, but translation is he was a janitor in a high rise condo building on the Gold Coast. And with that uh, position, he also got uh, free housing. And so I grew up on a swanky address. Um, I got to go to, I had the privilege of being, being at that address. I got to go to one of the best Chicago public elementary schools uh, in the district. But at that school, uh, I was also probably one of the, uh, I'll just say poorest kids there. My brother and my sister and I were. Um, I mentioned that our clothes came from, uh, from very meager stores. Uh, it was a really good year uh, when maybe my dad made a little bit extra that year working overtime where we, instead of getting clothes from a thrift store, we could actually go get clothes from maybe a discount uh, retailer. That was a really good year. <laughs> but, um, I think while as hard as that was, and uh, it was tough. I mean, there was uh, bullying has existed in, in uh, among children for forever, right? Yeah. And I definitely saw my share of that. I was also, uh, I'm also very short. <laughs> and so I was small, I was skinny. Um, and I was, a, you know, somebody with a name nobody could pronounce. And on top of that, I showed up uh, in outfits that were nowhere near uh, the swanky, the trends uh, trend and the swanky outfits around me. And so I did get made fun of a lot. Um, in fact, I, one memory that I have, I'll never forget this. Um, I was in seventh grade and my dad that year uh, uh, was able to get us what we called, 
brand name tennis shoes. <laughs> it was my first ever pair of brand name tennis shoes. They didn't come from Payless or, or another discount retailer or the thrift store. So uh, they were a pair of Reeboks. I'll still never forget them. Um, but uh, unfortunately, my, my shoes, again, weren't as swanky as the other kids' shoes. They were, they were brand name, but they weren't, uh, they weren't quite up to, up to snuff. And I remember I wore them to school for the first time, and there was a young man who looks at my shoes, looks me up and down, and goes, wow, well, it's about time you finally got some decent pair of shoes. Wow. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. It, it's funny how those memories stick with you after all these years. You know? Yeah. You know, words matter, right? They do matter. They do matter. And I think, Natalie, the reason, one reason I remember that story so vividly, it really stuck out is, so I was in seventh grade. I think maybe it was uh, around that time that um, I started to feel perhaps the word now looking back is compassion. Um, I started to feel that, um, you know what, this is really not okay. Right. Uh, it's not okay. And it hurts. And I didn't want to hurt. And I certainly didn't want other people to hurt. But I was a kid. What did I know to do with these, these feelings that I couldn't name or, or, or describe? And so the question was, uh, back to your question. So how do you stay focused when, when you are in growing up in that environment? Um, I, the word focus definitely was, was the word in our family. And I think um, my parents, though, were also, I would say, a little bit old school, if you will. Uh, it's not like I could talk to them about these feelings. I, I never right. once ever mentioned the story to my dad uh, or my mom. Uh, they never heard uh, these experiences. We just didn't talk about them. Um, but instead, I think I... One thing that my, another thing that my parents instilled in us is with that theme of focus came, you have to be the best in your class. And even though I was short, I had very limited means. Uh, but the one thing I did have was a brain and, <laughs> and I worked really hard and studied hard. And I was uh, among the top students in my classes. And I was throughout pretty much my whole uh, elementary and high school career. And so, but the reason I did that was because I knew that college was my goal. I knew that I probably wouldn't have any money to go to college. And so literally, I think probably starting in sixth grade or so, I had my singular focus was I have to get straight A's. I have to get into a really great high school program and then later a great college because I have to get a scholarship. If I want to go to college and I have to go to college, it wasn't an option. The only way to get to college was through a scholarship. And so that, that was almost, uh, even, even back then, even in seventh, eighth grade, that was in the back of my mind, um, what just, if you will, kept me going, uh, even when kids weren't nice. Um, and I certainly had nice friends too. So it, that also helped, right? Because if you're surrounded by bullies, now that's a whole different situation. But I definitely had some, some friends. Uh, actually, there were some other kids that were like me, uh, also kids of uh, janitors from high rises. 
And so we had, there was a group of three or four of us that we were all friends and we all kind of stuck, stuck with, the, with each other and helped support each other when, uh, when other kids were not very nice. And so you are able to build a little community. Yes. Um, and it's so important at yeah. every stage to have a network of support, um, yeah. people you can count on, people who are like-minded, because we're always going to be sort of in the middle of a pond, right? Um, surrounded. Yeah. So when we think about our circles, it's so important that we have all of these circles and buffers to help us to manage through those turbulent times in our lives and in our careers. Um, you did talk a little bit about um, compassion and I, the translation for me at this stage is um, empathy. We're beginning to see how important empathetic leadership is and why it's needed um, because there's so many bright um, uh, young women out there and I'll, I'm gonna stick with women cause we're talking about Wonder Woman, um, but this, this, this muscle of empathy is not only important for our individual and personal development, but professionally. And I know that you have a heart for uh, mentoring. So I did wanna ask you uh, really about how you recognize the value of mentoring and how you've been able to use that yourself um, to benefit yourself, but also to benefit others. Yeah, uh, it is definitely something I have a passion for, Natalie. Um, I think when the question of when did I start to realize what what mentoring was and what a difference it could make, uh, I'm not exactly sure to be honest with you. I probably looking back, even even in high school, I had mentors. I just didn't call them that. I called them. Uh, uh, older classmates who were able to to teach me some of their lessons learned, and then uh, I was a I was uh, you know I was a good student, and uh, I actually enjoyed learning. And so actually, I think I kind of gravitated toward lessons learned, if you will, and friends who are willing to share their lessons learned. And uh, honestly, I tried to uh, to learn from others, and certainly uh, myself if I went through something challenging. But um, the muscle of empathy uh, definitely got built over time. Um, I started my career in, uh, I started my career as a pharmacist actually, uh, but even from the beginning, uh, from, from my first job as a clinical pharmacist and uh, uh, in a role that was actually a bit of a pioneering role because I was also, a, it was kind of a dual role I was also leading our organization's, uh, part of our organization's electronic medical record conversion project. That was quite a project, but um, empathy, I think, started early in that I, I very much uh, cared, uh, not just for my patients, because that was almost a given. I mean, I'm, I'm a clinician at heart. Right. I will always care for patients who are hurting uh, I took an oath to support them and care for them and help them get better. Uh, so that was, that was a given, but it was more um, really wanting to lift and support others. I, I truly 
am so grateful for the folks who uh, had empathy toward me, who showed me compassion, who took me aside, whether that was in college or even in my early career. Um, I had an amazing mentor in that first job. Uh, he is the reason I am here today, actually. He is the one that saw something different in me, uh, encouraged me to go back to school, get an MBA, and uh, really opened my eyes that, hey, there is a place for women uh, <laughs> leaders uh, in business. And even if you're a pharmacist, which uh, at the time seemed to be a bit of a turnoff for other business leaders, they didn't quite understand what on earth could a pharmacist <laughs> do in a business other than pushing pills, right? I mean, that's the terrible stereotype we have. But uh, this mentor showed me that there were so many other options. And so I think uh, I would say that he perhaps opened my eyes more than anyone else to the power of mentoring. And I didn't actually spend a ton of time with him, believe it or not. Mm -hmm. uh, I would say if I had to put a time frame around it, maybe we talked quarterly or so back in those early days of my career. But those one hour quarterly sessions were so meaningful and so impactful. Uh, he was just an incredible mentor. And he remained so for many years actually after that. But it was seeing how he supported me that lit a fire mm -hmm. for me. And at the time, early in my career, I thought, well, I'm a pharmacist now and I take care of patients. <laughs> And I'm also uh, uh, developing expertise in this uh, emerging field of medical informatics. Um, but beyond that, uh, I thought that was my calling. But working with my mentor, doing a bunch of different projects at work, and then working, working with, um, I started teaching students, uh, started precepting students in their own pharmacy school uh, rotations, and then also taking, um, teaching pharmacy residents. Uh, that really was probably the spark that lit my passion for what I later recognized as my true calling on this earth. And I'll share it with you. Yes, that calling <laughs> is very simple. It is my true north. Whenever I doubt what I have been put here on this earth to do, it's really quite simple. And that is, uh, I'm here to support emerging leaders, to help them uh, and support them in their full leadership growth potential and their journey. That is really what I'm here to do. And support for me is not a passive word. Support is a very active word. Support means um, you take a emerging leader and I, and I'll, I will share this. I probably have a passion for what some would call underdogs ah, um, yes. <laughs> because I was always an underdog. I was the kid in school who people would look at me and go, yeah, yeah really? <laughs> yeah. Nah, she, 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 I was certainly never on anyone's most uh, likely to succeed list. Certainly not. But, um, and so I have a passion for folks that are clearly struggling but I think, um, I think I also have a gift to see some things that perhaps others can't. And so I've had dozens and dozens of mentees over the years. And probably if, if um, 
uh, and maybe they gravitate toward me for that reason, but that is the one thing that I, I'm here to do is to help support them, spend time with them, uh, whether that be an hour a quarter or an hour a month or an hour a week, whatever it is uh, at, at that time period in life. But really that I think uh, my goal is to make, to help them achieve their fullest potential so that they can also give back to other, especially women leaders. And I do tend to focus on women leaders. I've certainly helped mentor many gentlemen as well, mm -hmm. but uh, women leaders in particular uh, are my passion. And so, especially wow. if, they, if they struggle, um, uh, I'll just say if they're perhaps in a protected class or they struggle with, uh, again, just unusual, uh, struggles in life. Again, I probably shouldn't have made it, but, uh, uh, you know, I've been blessed and I certainly hope that I can bless other emerging women leaders as well. Likewise. Well, I don't think many people can say I have found my true North and I know exactly what I've been put here to do, but I see you've evolved and in your, in your evolution, you know, you've developed that um, empathy. You've also shared that you've taken the time to see people and really see beyond um, their immediate circumstance, which sometimes we either don't take the time to do because we get so caught up in rushing through work as we, we had talked about that before, achieving and just moving through and not making time to see other people. And, and sometimes it's in the seeing other people that we, we recognize maybe some of our own traits and our own uh, experiences, but we also recognize that it's possible. The possible is there. I just have to help this person see what's possible. Uh, and that is so important uh, to give space, but also to see and have someone feel validated that someone sees me, not saying it's easy, not discounting the challenge, but they see me and they see something in me, which is so important. You know, I usually ask this question about, um, you know, women uplifting women and what would you tell another woman in business? I think you've said it. Take the time to see other women, especially those that are struggling. We usually only look at those that are rising to the top and we say, oh, that she's high potential. She's got it. And she's definitely, you know, someone that I should invest my time. Um, and that choosing where to invest your time based on just what you see on the surface is maybe short-sighted. Well said, well said, Natalie. Um, I have so many stories that illustrate the point you're making. Um, you want to share one? Share one? <laughs> I'm going to share one. Let's share. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, uh, and many years ago, I had uh, I had a um, a resident that I was uh, helping to mentor and teach, 
in the program that we were running at the time. And she, she really struggled. Uh, she was clearly struggling. And, um, it, and there were so many things going on. Uh, brand new grad from pharmacy school, so had moved across the country, uh, you know, trying to adjust to a new life. And then uh, very different uh, business culture that she was dropped into. Everything was different. Everything was new. And uh, it's just, uh, you know, every, every one of us handles those situations differently, right? And she, she was clearly, clearly struggling. And uh, she was probably a few months into the residency program when uh, the preceptors uh, started to raise some red flags about her well, we've got some challenges, what's happening here? You know, is she gonna make it through this program? Uh, uh, obviously that, that's never a good look for any residency program either because our goal is to graduate people, not to, you know, not graduate them. And because uh, that, that is a metric that is tracked uh, for the accreditation of the program. Yep. But um, she she was about to start on a rotation with me and uh you know i was listening to this feedback and you know i was taking note i actually didn't comment on it because i hadn't spent any time with her and i really do try especially when i hear things about other uh, in this case we'll say women you know let, let's just reserve judgment i'd like to make up my own minds mm. i'd like to spend time myself with this a young person and let me see what's going on, uh, you know, and let's just see how she does. Uh, because let's face it, uh, especially that early, perhaps in a training program, uh, it could be the teacher who said it's the, it's the student. Maybe it's the teacher. That's the problem. I, we don't know. We don't know. Or maybe there's some unusual circumstance going on in their life that we just don't know what's going on. And so, uh, uh, got her on a one month uh, training rotation with me. And uh, I decided I had actually purposefully cleared uh, quite a bit of my calendar that month because <clears throat> I really, I, I did not want her to fail. And I think maybe that's the other key thing that uh, was in the back of my mind at the time was if it is within my power to help this young woman succeed, uh, I'm going to do everything I humanly possibly can to help her succeed. So I cleared a good chunk of my calendar. I spent um, at least one to two hours, sometimes more, a day uh, with her, uh, roughly, and, um, and really started to get to know her. Uh, what made her tick? What made her, uh, you know, what made her... Why was she, why did, why was she struggling? And we had that exact conversation of, look, it sounds like I've heard that you're struggling, but let's put that aside. How do you, how do you perceive the situation? And mm -hmm. she did validate. She said, no, I, I am. The fact is I am. So then we started digging into why. And as always, there are many, many factors. Uh, all of the reasons uh, I spouted off, certainly the newness and everything. Um, but there were also other factors that she was dealing with that no one had bothered to ask her, uh, 
about or to really ask a question of, hey, look, maybe there's maybe there's an employee assistance program that uh, could really make a difference. Mm. So uh, we we talked about a lot of things and um, but I think certainly got her a a little she actually didn't need all that much help. It was just a little bit. And but I think what really made a difference was uh, she pulled me aside one day and said, you know what, you're probably the first Mm. you're probably the first person in this program that has bothered um, to show an interest. You truly care and want me to finish and succeed. And she said, in fact, because you did that, I feel like you've given me my second wind. I can do this. Wow. I can do this. Yes. And really, Natalie, when I look back at that moment, I mean, what did I really do? (laughs) What did I really do? I did it really cost me that much? Uh, I mean, sure, time on my calendar. Certainly other people had to wait, but I I could not let this human being fail. She was entrusted to me for a month. Um, I was a, a, a professor in this program. I could not let her fail. Um, and she eventually, um, we entered a, if you will, a mentoring relationship uh, that went on for many years after that, actually, even after she very successfully graduated, actually, and went on to have, uh, she actually has an amazing career today. She, she has a story that is worth telling someday. She has a story. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But I think the key is, you know, a little bit of time, a little bit of asking why, uh, to use your phrase, which I loved, uh, of seeing her, um, wow, it, it turned a life around. And again, there is nothing, nothing that brings me greater joy and sense of accomplishment than, um, than having stories like that. Yeah, that, that was amazing. And I mean, it's, it's one thing to say we have a superpower, but we really have simple power. It, it, it just requires you to pause. And, you know, I love how you say reserve judgment. Don't add, you know, fuel to the fire without getting the facts and making an informed decision about people. So don't listen to others and go along with the crowd. But as women, we know that we are complicated. There are so many complexities because we have so many demands on our times. We, we wear so many different hats and people have an automatic expectation of number one, our ability, our limitation and our value. And so if we add to the to the, you know, what's being discussed without getting the facts and taking the time. Uh, I, I love that she actually was motivated to come back to you and say, you were the first person who asked about me. And sometimes that's what it is. Yeah. It is. And I forgot to add one very important point. Why did she succeed? Uh, I'll tell you why. Uh, Hopefully some of my words helped her over the years. She says they did. I'm glad to hear that. But that's not why she succeeded. Uh, 
supported her perhaps when she needed it. But the reason she succeeded was, um, and has an amazing career today. So one of the things we uncovered in this mentoring engagement, and this didn't happen in that first month I spent with her, it actually took some time to uncover this, but we figured out, you know what? Her brain is just wired differently. She was not a typical pharmacist. Mm. Well, and guess what? The reason her and I hit it off was because I'm not a typical pharmacist. I've had a very odd clinical, <laughs> <laughs> I've had a very odd career. Let's just put it that way. Odd in a good way. But, um, and really the reason she, it things, certain things weren't jiving in her program was because it, she didn't really have an affinity to that type of practice area or, or career option. And so as we started working together, we started talking about what, what else is out there. The fact is she has an amazing business brain, amazing strategy brain, probably one of the best I've ever seen. And I've worked with many strategists uh, across many different organizations, uh, top tier strategists and organizations, one of the best strategy brains I've ever seen. And uh, she sees strategy uh, about 300 miles away. <laughs> it's incredible. That, that, and it, wired differently, right? Is she, she wasn't, she wasn't going to be, uh, you know, rounding on inpatient uh, uh, infectious disease services, taking, uh, picking antibiotics for patients. That wasn't her calling in life. Uh, Look at that. Her calling. Her calling was different. We needed to recognize it. And then she needed the help from her mentors and support system to show her, okay, now how do I pursue a career in something that is that different and that unique? And, and it's a, exactly too, knowing your strengths, which is, yes. you know, so important. And, and so you go from being, um, you know, a square peg trying to fit into a round yes. hole. Yes. Uh, doesn't mean that you don't have what it takes. It just means your journey or your path may be different. Yeah. And there's room, right? When you yeah. think about the band of a career, uh, as you said, there's so many different opportunities to be involved and to show your talent. Yeah. So uh, lessons learned there. And I know you touched on your very unusual career path. Um, I wanted to ask you quickly how you got from Chicago to Texas. Uh, because, you know, that's a, a little different track. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it definitely was. Uh, it was uh, initially, it was a bit of a culture shock. Uh, as all big moves are, but um, uh, that story makes me chuckle these days when I, when I look back on it. Um, so uh, at the time, so this was uh, years ago, but at the time uh, we had had our first son and uh, we lived in Chicago at the peak of the real estate market. And when it was just the two of us uh, and I graduated pharmacy school and we could finally afford, uh, actually we did, uh, my parents, uh, we lived at my parents' house actually for, for a good, a good uh, almost five years after we got married. I don't recommend it, but uh, you know, we did what we had to do. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> yeah. But uh, anyway, we bought a house and it was a tiny condo, three stories. Uh, it was cute, but it was, it was a baby nightmare 
It was less than a thousand square feet on three stories. So you can, you know, you can imagine in your head what this place looked like with no railings. It looked kind of hip and modern. And yeah, this was not a child friendly Not child proof. No, yeah. no. <laughs> so we realized, oh my, we, we have, we need to get a more appropriate home and dwelling. Well, we couldn't afford rent because rent was nuts. And uh, my husband actually was still in his training program. So I was the only breadwinner. So our funds were not, didn't go very far. Plus I did have student loans to pay. So, you know, finances were an issue. So we looked, we looked, we looked, could find absolutely nothing we could afford in Chicago. And uh, we had friends that lived in Houston and uh, we'd visit them periodically. And, you know, we went to go visit them uh, right after, very shortly after my son was born. And, uh, my friend knowing me as well as she did she said, you know, what? just go take a look at some places. It's <laughs> like, oh, sure. What the heck? Why not? So we went, we checked it out. And more importantly, we looked at the prices and the square footage, did some math, you know, dollars per square foot. And then out of curiosity started looking at, well, what are some uh, pharmacy leadership jobs and what do they pay in Houston? And again, at the time, it was actually the, the, um, the peak of the pharmacist shortage that we had uh, in the early 2000s. That was the peak. And so salaries at the time were eye-popping. And I mean, Natalie, it was literally, it all came down to finances. Uh, bang for your buck. And, uh, you know, new kid, couldn't afford a house. It's really what it came down to. Hard decision to leave. We left our entire family. Uh, we, we didn't know very many people in Houston. Uh, really started over. That was pretty tough. But, uh, but that's how we ended up down here. Don't regret it. Uh, love living here. Uh, this is home for us. So well, that, that's a great story of an unplanned transition. But you, yeah. you made it work. Um, because all of our, you know, our, our transitions in life, sometimes that opportunity comes up and we just have to go with it and, you know, make the best of it. So tell me at this point, what is it that excites you? What are you excited about as you look at your life today, or as you just reflect on where things are going or, uh, the experiences that you've had? Uh, the things you enjoy, what is it that excites you today? Ooh, wow. That is, that is a question that has so many answers. Um, I chuckle at that question because uh, part of my, my own career journey has involved a lot of mentoring for myself um, around the fact that I, I've sometimes struggled in figuring out, well, where do I, where do I want to go? I have so many interests. Um, I have a passion for many things. Uh, my true north never changes, truly, because it doesn't matter where, what career step I took. The true north always stayed the same. I still uh, mentored and helped other emerging leaders uh, through their own journeys. So that part, that part doesn't change. But I would say, if anything, the last two years have definitely given us an opportunity. The pandemic has forced us all mm -hmm. to, uh, and literally forced us to be still, to take moments of reflection, 
and I'm generally a reflector anyway, mm-hmm. but I've really had extra moments of reflection over the last couple of years. And, and as I look, uh, as I look towards, okay, now what, what's going to happen? Uh, you know, once, once our new reality just settles and the new normal emerges, because we're still not quite there yet, but it will happen. It will happen. So I think what excites me and what really keeps me going uh, are a number of things. So I think number one, first and foremost, the pandemic has absolutely given me a renewed um, uh, sense of my time with my family is is beyond precious. Uh, in the past year, I now have a child driver in my house, which was frightening. It was also empowering because it kind of freed up my schedule a little bit. That was fabulous. But <laughs> on the flip side, it also made me realize that, oh my, uh, I've only got him for a couple of years left. And I absolutely want to make the most of that time. So I think uh, if anything, we, uh, my family is uh, first and foremost, what gets me going every day. Um, we, we love to travel. And so that is how we spend time together. Uh, and traveling looked very different, obviously, in the pandemic. Uh, we, we used to love traveling overseas. Uh, I'm a my husband and I are both history buffs, so we we had to incorporate some sort of history in every in trip the journey, every yeah, yeah every, every time. So, so it just history looked a little different for the past two years. You know, we spent some time in in the U.S. deserts and national parks, and and that was really awesome. But um, so that gets me going. But on a uh, so certainly first and foremost, and I think this is important to say because I am a confessed workaholic and I was for most of my career and truly it's almost a cliche sadly but truly the pandemic forced me to spend more time with my family than I had ever done in my entire career and I I think I realized finally sadly I was a slow learner on this point but I finally realized that um you know there there has to be a way, I'm not saying it's easy, but there has to be a way where your family must take priority and especially your kids, because truly, truly the time is so limited that you have them and, uh, and they'll always be your children, but they look, it's so different when, when they're older versus when they're younger. So I think that was first and foremost. Professionally, what excites me is, um, uh, I, I actually have currently, uh, I feel so privileged to work for an organization with an amazing mission. Um, we, uh, we truly do amazing things, uh, for patients. And, uh, it was interesting because when I started my pharmacy career, I got excited about taking care of thousands of patients in my health system every year. But nowadays, I like to say that I'm, I'm involved in, uh, in my work actually helps millions. And this, again, absolutely gets me going every single day. What I get to do every day as part of my work and that I get paid to do every day 
literally helps millions of patients. I mean, that just gives me chills every time I think about it. And um, those needs have only increased through the pandemic. If ever there was a time that society needed great healthcare, uh, the pandemic showed us where all the boo-boos are and where all the gaps are. And that is honestly what I've been able to, to help work on uh, and will continue to work on uh, as part of what I do in my day job. And so uh, that those are two of the things that get me going and get me excited. I could go on for many more because I- Well, you've got me excited. Yeah, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm there with you. Absolutely with our reframing of the value of our families and what is most important. And the old days of having a work family and a work wife or a work husband, um, that was nice and that was cute, but we kind of see that, you know what? Our families are so important. Our children are, are the, the roots and the routines that we establish and the time that we spend together. So I'm glad that you said that. And yes, yes, yes to the powerful purpose of what you do. What you do is so important from your seat, understanding how you impact the world. Um, you are definitely shaping and changing and saving lives out there, which is so important. And yet you said at some point in our discussion, I wasn't supposed to succeed. Well, I have to tell you, <laughs> you did. And, you know, there, there are times in both of our lives where we thought we really hit the bottom and would never get up yep. again. Um, but it's so important to find a way out of the darkness, right? Um, the best, uh, we can look around and just say, wow, she's amazing, she's great. But there is a story there that would really um, make you really sad that, you know, sometimes we have to struggle uh, because other people just may not be as gracious or have ambitions that don't align with our own. Um, so I just want to, I don't want to leave the conversation without just hearing from you um, how important it is to be able to see through the struggle and come through it. I love this question, Natalie. Um, so I, one thing that frustrates me is, um, and it frustrates me, maybe this will surprise people, but um, while I appreciate the kudos and pats on the back, thank you. Uh, what frustrates me is when folks only see your current success, however they define success, not necessarily the same way I define success. Um, and often it's superficial, your address, what clothes you wear, what shoes did she show up at work with, right? I mean, or the car, uh, don't even get me started on the car conversation. Uh, people look at those things and, and they have absolutely no idea, no idea of, uh, you're right, the struggles um, that life, life throws at you. Um, it is very important to, to not necessarily, um, as you're talking to folks, as you meet uh, uh, people that come your way, 
it is so important to ask for everyone's, uh, they don't, look, they don't need to give you their biography, but ask for some tidbits of their story because their story, I, I guarantee you, every story has a surprise in it. And uh, for me, I've hit, I've hit bottom quite a few times, actually. <laughs> uh, I don't like talking about the bottom. Who does? But I will say that, um, and for me, bottom looked, uh, was both personal, uh, losing my dad when I was only 30 years old uh, was, and will, will still is, as, even though it was many years ago, uh, still is one of the most painful, horrible things that I've ever had to experience. There is pain there every day that just doesn't go away. Um, personal, but then also at work. Um, people see current, current achievements, but they don't know that you know, uh, the toxic situations uh, you had to deal with. Um, learning how to navigate those situations where you come out with your career, your dignity intact. Uh, those are things that none of us are born to know how to handle. And I think this is an important point here that when tough times come, I think sometimes we, we have in, in our minds, we've made up our minds that, well, I, it, I, you know, I can, I, I must not be as resilient as people around me. I must, I must not have that thing that helps me make it through. Well, I have news for you. None of us do. <laughs> and it only comes through, um, through a few, few things, certainly old, good old fashioned, you know, stick with it every day and, um, you know, try to find the positive in every situation Again, that's a bit of a cliche, but truly not allowing yourself to fixate on what is wrong in your life right now. There is always something good every day, but sometimes we just don't let ourselves see it. And I think that is, if it's one thing, and I, I have to tell you, Natalie, I wasn't always good at it. There were absolutely moments, especially in my career, where maybe I was in a toxic work situation that needed to be addressed, and I didn't handle it as well as I could have, knowing now what I, what I know. But um, instead of fixating on what is wrong, uh, find, find those glimmers of hope, find what is working, and really, really make up your mind every day. Force your head to go into a different space. It's very difficult, but it, it, it does take a conscious choice from you to make. Uh, it is honestly the only way you're going to build that muscle to become that resilient person that uh, you see in others and perhaps you envy in others. But don't envy those people because I guarantee you anyone who has that much fortitude and resistance has a doozy of a personal story and a journey that brought them there. The key is your journey and your story can be equally successful um, if you truly make that choice um, to, to make it through today and then tomorrow and then the days after that. Taking it one day at a time, one step at a time. Um, it is so true. We are not born with these muscles and defense systems. So when they actually do happen, even if you've heard these stories in the past that other people went through and you read the biographies, the autobiographies, the stories, when it happens to you, 
it is a very, very different situation. And you, you make the choice to push through, as you said, look for the positive. This is not rocket science. It's not. This, yes, this is courage. This is determination. Um, this is realism. Um, and, and maybe it means cry, get over it, and make up your mind, as you said, to handle these tough times with your dignity intact. That's going to pull you through to the other side. And maybe I, one I, more word, lesson from, one from my dad, focus. 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 Wow. Don't lose the focus. Resilience takes, takes time, but focus ultimately will prevail. You can do that today. You can Focus. do that today. That's right. Awesome. Well, Doino, I, I just can't thank you enough for spending this time and telling your story. Um, so rich, as I knew it would have been. So powerful and so real. You know, this may have been, we, we talked about this being your first time of really sharing your story and sitting on the other side of a question set, um, but it was wonderful. And I know that uh, someone listening today, maybe several people, several hundred people, um, are walking away with some really, really great understanding uh, of themselves, of what to expect, and maybe how to be a better mentor and help and support to other people, other women, because we are definitely about empowering women, lifting up their voices, amplifying their story, because there is a place and a space for them to be successful and to be happy. So thank you again. This was great for me. I hope you enjoyed it. I know our listeners will. This was a great opportunity to share. I can't thank you enough. And I wanna wish you all the best. We're having this conversation at the close of 2021 with some great lessons learned and some bright prospects for 2022. Thank you for the honor, Natalie. It was such a privilege to be here today and a joy as always talking to you. Thank you. You are welcome. Thanks, everyone. We hope you enjoyed.